Well, here we are today, just a few days after an inauguration that we had on Wednesday. And this year, the inauguration that we saw in this city was unlike any that we had ever seen before, and I believe unlike any we will ever see again. And any inauguration, though, is an opportunity to pause, to notice a, a break in the pattern, the opportunity for some newness to come into our lives as a nation. It's a chance to think of what our nation was founded to be and what we may yet become. And I feel that today is a good time for a story about one of our presidents, a very poignant story about a president that is not very well known and yet one that has a very special connection to St. John's, which I'll explain later. And I will share with you, I learned about this story thanks to a podcast from the Washington Post called Presidential. Of course, I am talking about the 21st president of our country who served from September 1881 until early 1885. I'm sure you're all thinking of his name right now. It was Chester A. Arthur. In fact, surveys uh, reveal that Chester Arthur is, of all the presidents, the least well-known, the least remembered president of all. I was on a tour of the White House. It's the only time I went inside that building since we moved here. And um, when I saw the portrait of Chester Arthur, I got excited and the tour guide looked at me because he'd never seen anyone get excited to see Chester Arthur's portrait before with those giant mutton chops. He was famous, among other things, for looking like a walrus. But his story is remarkable. He grew up in Vermont and upstate New York. His father was a Baptist minister and, uh, and committed abolitionist. And so he and his family were constantly moving from town to town because his father's preaching got him kicked out of church after church. And then he served the Union in the Civil War and then became a lawyer and worked in New York City and actually worked on civil rights cases of that time that were important. But over the years, he ended up working his way up into the political class and all the way up to a coveted position, the most lucrative position that there was at that time in New York City. He was in charge of the customs for New York. And what that meant was he got a cut whenever there was a transaction. And there were a lot of transactions. He became very wealthy this way uh, by getting a cut through um, every opportunity that there was, it also gave him the chance to give out favors and to become a powerful person as part of a system that wasn't all on the up and up. There was a party leader named Roscoe Conkling, who was a U.S. senator from New York, and he was in good graces with that individual. And so then when James Garfield was going to run to be president, Garfield was trying to unify the Republican Party, but he had a challenge. Garfield was running so that he would clean up the corruption in politics. That wasn't a popular position. And in order for Garfield to balance out the ticket, it was decided that he would have Chester Arthur as his running mate. Chester Arthur, who was the embodiment of the grift that was possible 
in that system at that time. I think it's worth remembering one of the lines from the psalm that we just heard today. Put no confidence in extortion and set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. And so, as it happened, Garfield won the election with Arthur as his vice president. But sadly, less than a year into his presidency, an assassin approached Garfield at a train station in Washington, D.C., and shot him twice. The assassin was not mentally well, and he had hoped to benefit from the system of grift, and he felt snubbed. And he went on record that day, after shooting Garfield, he exclaimed that he sought to kill the president explicitly to make Chester Arthur become the president. Because he was against Garfield's reforms, he wanted Arthur to be the president instead to make sure that the corruption did not get cleaned up. Can you imagine being in Chester Arthur's position at that time? Well, Garfield's wounds were actually not life-threatening wounds, but the doctors at that time did not understand about disinfectants. If they had left the bullet lodged where it was, he would have survived and been okay, but they were intent on reaching in with their dirty hands, one doctor after the next, all trying to get the bullet out, and he died an excruciating death. And so Arthur becomes the president, and here's the remarkable part of the story. He did the exact opposite of what everybody expected him to do. He set about fighting corruption in government, and in 1883, he helped see that the Civil Service Act became law. The old party boss, Conkling, was furious, and he never forgave Chester Arthur. And according to one of his historians, Chester Arthur said, for the vice presidency, I was indebted to Roscoe Conkling. But for the presidency, I am indebted to God Almighty. It's an extraordinary story of how one man was capable of utterly changing course. He is not remembered because even though he went onto the side of cleaning up corruption, those reformers never fully trusted him. And those that he betrayed... Uh, never forgave him. And so he's mostly forgotten in history. This remarkable story, though, shows us that maybe we have a capability like that as well. We have two powerful stories in our scripture passages that we hear today about people who turn when they answer God's call. First, in the book of Jonah, we have an account of simultaneously the worst and best prophet that ever lived. Jonah did not want to do what God asked of him, so much so that he fled from God, and he got swallowed by a fish, but he could not get away. And eventually he had had to go through with the task that God had set before him. And what was that difficult task for Jonah? It was to tell the people of Nineveh to change their ways and to be saved. And so why would Jonah not want to do that? Well, because he did not want to see the people of Nineveh saved. He hated the people of Nineveh. 
And Jonah was no fan of God's grace. And unfortunately, we might be able to relate to that sentiment when we're not a fan of God's grace towards those who are our enemies. That was the situation with Jonah, but he couldn't get away. Eventually, he finds himself standing, facing that entire vast city, and he just says one sentence, and the whole city repents. They change their ways, they turn, and they follow God. There's no other prophet that has such success. Well, the other story, which is deceptively simple, is when Jesus calls Simon, Andrew, James, and John, and they were four fishermen. The author Mark tells us that Jesus was proclaiming the good news and that the time was being fulfilled and that the kingdom of God had come near. Jesus says the words, repent and believe in the good news. He tells the fishermen to follow me and I will make you fish for people. And I wonder, what did those fishermen experience that gave them the ability to walk away from their nets and their boats, their livelihoods and their families, all that they had known, and to follow this unusual rabbi so faithfully? From the account of their confusion and their bumbling that follows these moments, we know that they did not understand what Jesus was teaching very well with their heads, but something deeper must have been stirred in their hearts. They were changed that moment when they turned and they followed. And this word that we hear that Jesus uses, the word repent, I believe that the word repent is a word that deserves to be reclaimed. This word repent or repentance conjures up the imagery of hanging your head in dejection, feeling full of guilt. But properly understood, there is joy in this word. Repent means new possibilities. Biblically, it's a word that is really about life being claimed. The Hebrew, teshuva, is about jumping back onto the path when you have gone off of it. It's about the restoration that happens when you're, to your soul, when you turn to God and you turn to what is good, what is true, and you give all of yourself to it. To believe, as Jesus puts it, literally means to give your heart. It's a breaking of the pattern. It's a glorious transition. At St. John's, we have a special connection to President Chester Arthur. <clears throat> when we were installing these stained glass windows, which are about to be liberated in time, I pray very soon, um, and we can see some of them lit by light here. These windows were installed in the late 1800s. Chester Arthur was a president at that time, and he was a congregant. He attended worship here. Um, I believe sitting right where Jack is sitting today. <clears throat> and when the call was put out to have donations to help make these windows possible, he said that he would donate one of the windows, and specifically he wanted the window to be right there in that location. Because, And I've heard the story two different ways. 
either his bedroom or his office, or perhaps both. He could look through his window from the White House, and when lights were on inside the church, he would be able to see the window glowing. And it wasn't just a window that he donated, but it was a memorial to his beloved wife, Nell, who had died just before he was elected to be vice president. She died at the age of 42, leaving two young children behind. And Nell had grown up in D.C. and was a singer in the choir at St. John's Church as a young woman. And when the window was being designed, Arthur asked if he could choose what the image would depict. And he chose the resurrection. Arthur was someone who knew about resurrection because he knew about repenting and returning and the power of glorious change for the good, how letting go of our old life frees us to find new life, the life that God sets before us. Repenting is what we do in this life when we correct our course, and resurrection is the same pattern, but it is that which takes us to the life eternal. Following Jesus is not merely heading along one path among many, but it is turning to the way that leads to the life of resurrection. As Jesus says, now is the time, and it is being fulfilled. The kingdom is near. Repent, follow, and believe. Because for you, this new life begins today. Amen.